This is a time, as you said, Angela, to focus on our sadhana, which is our daily practice. And all of the excuses that we had about not having enough time or wanting more time with our family, wanting more time with our thoughts, want, wanting more time in nature, all of those things God has presented to us in this moment. And we can be res resistant to it or we can embrace it and lean into it. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. So I'm very excited to be here today with uh, Sachin Patel, who is the founder of the Living Proof Institute, um, a functional medicine practice based all over the world, not just in the US, um, having taken that uh, fully online. And Sachin is also a specialist in teaching healthcare providers how to leverage their businesses online, um, which couldn't be more relevant than it is at the moment with everything that's going on. Um, so welcome to the show, Sachin. It's great to have you here. Angela, thank you. It's, it's truly an honor and a pleasure, and I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Um, I've got lots and lots of questions from you, but to start off, let's talk about your background and how you got into this. Sure, absolutely. So I'm originally trained as a chiropractor and as a chiropractor, our philosophy has always been that uh, our innate uh, potential, our innate intelligence is what creates the healing processes in our body. And as a chiropractor, when I graduated school, I started working with athletes and mainly in structural and soft tissue care. And shortly after that, a couple of years into practice, I was on the news. And as a result of being on the news, we ended up having a whole bunch of people flood our practice. The story that they did was on elbow pain, tennis elbow, golfer's elbow. And as a result of that story, for whatever reason, really, really sick, unhealthy people with multiple chronic conditions started calling our office and setting up appointments. So I went from seeing some of the healthiest people in the city to some of the sickest people in the city. And unfortunately, I didn't have a plan for them because I didn't have the training, nor did I have the preparation. But what I also realized is neither did their medical doctors. And that's not to take a slide at anyone, but nobody was actually helping these people get healthy. Everyone was just masking their symptoms, masking their issues, giving them different drugs, scans, you know, all kinds of different things. My wife was a pharmacist, you know, she would review some of the medications that people were on and she was astounded by some of the side effects that these medications could cause for people and how toxic these medications were, especially when they were combined with one another. So that was the impetus for me to learn a little bit more about how to help these individuals. You know, it's kind of a gutting feeling when you can't help your patients and you don't know where to send them. It's one thing to be able to refer somebody somewhere knowing that they're in good hands and they're going to get the help that they need, but not knowing where to send people is a very difficult thing. And so that's around the time I started learning about functional medicine from another chiropractor named Ron Grisanti, who later became my mentor. And I started taking his training program and I had no idea that chiropractors could do this. But once I started learning the systems of functional medicine, it became a no-brainer for me. So I started applying it first in my own personal life because I was, despite doing all the things I knew to be healthy, I was experiencing some joint pain issues. I was experiencing some digestive challenges and fatigue. That was the one thing that I always had. And I used to blame it on my beta thalassemia. It was kind of an easy thing to, to blame it on, but it turned out for me, it was gluten and dairy. And once I cleared up the gluten and dairy out of my diet, some amazing shifts started taking place in my body. My energy came back, my digestion improved, my skin cleared up. All these things that I was struggling with started uh, going away. And that's the thing that got me into functional medicine. The practitioner that I was working for at the time wanted nothing to do with it because she wanted to kind of really focus on sports injuries and things like that. But once you know this stuff, it's hard to go back. Fast forward a few years, I ended up leaving that practice 
working for another company, became their director of functional medicine. And then in 2011, I started the functional medicine, uh, you know, uh, practice that we have now, which is the Living Proof Institute. And that started off in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then later moved to Toronto, Canada, where I, pra- where I work now uh, and I live now. And our practice has evolved over the years where we've gone from, you know, mainly a brick and mortar type of practice. And now the majority of our services are provided online. And, and so what I help other practitioners, functional medicine practitioners, uh, health coaches, you know, people in our industry, what I help them do is I help them create an online presence and, you know, create a virtual practice. But also if they do have a brick and mortar practice, we teach them how to leverage that as well, because I think you can have the best of both worlds now more than ever. And I think that the necessity of being online is greater now more than ever as well. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly in the current climate. And I think, um, it enables you to meet, uh, to kind of reach so many more people than you can obviously with a brick and mortar, um, practice. Now it's uh, just, um, so people can understand a little bit better. So functional medicine obviously is different from the medical system, the traditional medical system, where it looks at the body as a set of systems. Um, Before we kind of dive into the ways that you use that, can you just sort of briefly explain for some people who maybe are not as familiar with the functional medicine protocol, how that works? Sure. You know, when I describe functional medicine to people, the response that they have is, isn't that how healthcare should be? And the answer is yes. So in a nutshell, functional medicine is personalized healthcare that identifies and addresses the root cause. So sometimes the root cause may be very far removed from the symptoms. For example, a good example is rheumatoid arthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis actually starts in the digestive system, but people experience joint pain and they may never connect the two. So they might see a joint specialist when in reality they need to see somebody who's going to help them with their diet, nutrition, and digestive health. So functional medicine is personalized medicine, it's root cause medicine, and it's patient-empowered medicine where the practitioner partners with the patient and empowers the patient to become part of the healing journey versus, you know, the typical role that, you know, practitioners have in the traditional medical model is people come into their office and they delegate their health to the doctor. They delegate the responsibility of healing to the practitioner or to the medication. Whereas our philosophy is let's teach you how to be healthy so that not only can you be healthy, but you can teach your children how to be healthy, your grandchildren how to be healthy, because I believe that's the only solution to the healthcare crisis that we have. It's not more doctors. It's not more functional medicine doctors. It's more people knowing how to take good care of themselves, teaching that to their children, and then creating a whole new generation of healthy people and, you know, reducing the burden on the healthcare system. You know, we created a system that we actually want our family to be part of. You know, I have a nine-year-old son. I never want him to get sick and have to go see a, a natural healthcare provider. I want him to be healthy his entire life and know how to take care of himself. You know, people shouldn't turn 50 have cancer, and then learn how to eat. They should have known this their entire life because they could have created a completely different trajectory for their life. So functional medicine is everything that people have wanted. Uh, and, you know, it's, it, it, it really is the only form of healthcare that I can think of that actually provides a solution in the climate that we have right now. Amazing. I absolutely love that. And I think it's so important. I think people underestimate as well the value um, of the compounding effect, similar to to money, the compounding effect of those micro daily habits and actually understanding and taking charge of your health um, destiny. So I'd like to draw down a little bit more on that with you um, because you've worked with so many um, clients. Um, What are the principles that we can say that apply to most people? I know that you, you say there that it is very personalized in its approach. But there are principles that I think everybody um, can take away um, and start putting into practice with immediate effect in terms of looking after their health and that 
that those health outcomes later in life? Yeah, great question. So, so here's the thing. I believe that health is actually very, very simple. So the pathway that traditional medicine has gone down is to match the complexity of the body. You know, Steve Jobs and Leonardo da Vinci said that the greatest sign of sophistication is simplicity. You know, what makes our computer so awesome, what makes this software that we're using to record this conversation so awesome is that it's simple to use. You don't have to understand every single line of code to be able to use it. You don't have to understand how everything works to be able to leverage it and use it to create beautiful things. So our body is extremely sophisticated and that sophistication is what leads to the simplicity for us to take care of it. And so what, first and foremost, we have, to, uh, we have to kind of buy into that idea. You know, growing an oak tree is actually really simple. You have to plant the seed in the right soil, provide it the right amount of water and sunlight and give it time and you'll have this amazing, beautiful oak tree. You don't have to understand how photosynthesis works, which we still don't, in order for that plant to grow, in order mm -hmm. for that tree to grow, in order for that fruit to grow. All of those complexities are taken care of by nature. So the more simple your strategy is, the more you're leveraging the principles of nature. The more complicated your strategy is, the more you're trying to manipulate nature and trying to outsmart nature, and that's never going to work out for you. So I believe in simplicity. Simplicity is the key to your success because simplicity is something that everybody can do. So we believe in certain principles, uh, you know, certain things that you're doing already anyways, let's just do them a little bit better. So you talked about the compound effect, you know, you're already going to go to sleep. Let's sleep a little bit better. Let's practice some sleep hygiene. Let's go to bed a little bit earlier. Let's sleep in a little bit more if we need to. Let's make our morning routine a little bit easier and more dialed in so we don't have to rush in the morning. You're already going to think, let's get you thinking more positively. You're going to go to the bathroom no matter what. So let's get your pelvis in the right position using a squatty potty so that you could have a more complete bowel movement. You're already going to communicate with other people. Let's get you communicating more strategically and more consciously. You're going to think thoughts about yourself. Let's get you thinking more positive thoughts about yourself. So it's really simple things that we can do make all the difference in the world. Uh, you know, one of the simplest things that people can do to promote their health is, is having a good sleep practice. Now, sleeping uh, is, is one of the things that uh, creates the fastest healing for anyone. Anything that you're going through right now, sleep is probably the best thing that you can do because that's when the body goes into the deepest state of re repair, regeneration, and restoration. That's when the body is the most parasympathetic. And I'll get to that uh, in just a second. But sleep doesn't start in the evening. It actually starts the day before it starts or the day of in the morning, how much time do you spend in sunlight? How much time do you spend in nature? You know, does your, does your biological clock uh, have the right signals to induce a deep and restful sleep for yourself? You know, the average human being used to sleep 10 hours a night before they invented the light bulb. Now the average human being sleeps less than seven hours a night. And those seven, those three hours that are differentials aren't necessarily filled with yoga and meditation and Tai Chi and Qi Kong and drum circles and community connection. What they're filled with is watching TV or being on your phone or being on your computer or checking your email or other things that create more stress in our lives. So a simple thing that people can start doing is spending more time outdoors, especially first thing in the morning. That tells your biological clock in your brain what time of day it is. If you can get out for a few minutes midday, you don't even have to go for a walk, just get outside. Mm -hmm. And then in the evening, if you can watch the sunset, then that's going to signal to your body that the sun is going down. Everything in nature operates out of, uh, operates from the basis of the rising and setting of the sun. Every animal, every plant, 
operates off of that except human beings. That's why we are the sickest animals on the entire planet because we've lost our connection with nature and we've lost our connection with our circadian rhythm. So if anyone's going to get better, that's the first thing that they need to do. If they're not willing to do that, they're never going to get better. No matter what pills they take, what potions they take, what lotions they apply to their body, if you're not sleeping well, you're never ever going to feel the way you should. Another thing that people overlook is breathing. So most people take shallow breaths. These shallow breaths lead to a, a signal in their body that creates sympathetic dominance and stress. And that stress signal puts them in a state where their cortisol levels are elevated. When your cortisol and catecholamine levels are elevated, what essentially happens is you tell your organs to go into fight or flight mode. And so they start breaking down. They start you know, uh, responding to what would be normally a stressful situation. So if a lion's chasing me, then the smart thing for my body to do is to first recognize that threat, process that threat based on my beliefs, values, and past experiences, send a signal down my spinal cord, which then tells all my organs to shut off and tells my fight or flight system to turn on. So digestion shuts off. You know, digestion is not going to save you from a lion. Your liver and kidney detoxification shuts off because those things aren't going to save you from a lion. Your reproductive organs shut off because that's not going to save you. Your cell-mediated immune system shuts off because that's not going to save you. So everything that's necessary for survival turns on. Everything that's unnecessary for survival uh, turns off. Now, if we stay in that state perpetually because we're constantly exposed to stressful situations or we're processing things and it's creating stress in our body or we don't know how to breathe properly and we're creating that, those micro stressors and signals in our body that induce a stress response, then guess what? Then we're never going to put our body in a state of healing and repair. A simple example I would give you, Angela, is that when you're under fight or flight, only 5% of your blood goes to your liver and kidneys. When you're in rest and digest, which is the opposite of fight or flight, when you're in a parasympathetic state, 50% of your blood goes to your liver and kidneys. So guess what? If I want to improve somebody's detoxification, I don't give them you know, magic pills to make them better. What I've got to do is I've got to get them more parasympathetic. I've got to get them sleeping more, resting more, breathing right so that they can actually send blood to the organs that they're trying to heal and repair. The thing that people don't realize is how important this is how significant this is because when you're producing fight or flight hormones, guess what? Every organ in your body that's necessary for, a res for the response of healing and repair shuts off. When you're in a parasympathetic state, all of those organs for healing, repair, detoxification, regeneration, reproduction, uh, revitalization, rejuvenation, all of those systems turn on. So the more we can get people into those states, the more deeply they can heal, the faster they can heal. Children are a great example. You know, children are our greatest teachers. You know, my nine-year-old boy is still my greatest teacher. He's my mentor, so to speak, and he teaches me tons and tons about life. So when children don't feel well, what do they do? They do three things. One, they go to sleep. Number two, they stop eating. And number three, they stop talking. Mm. So silence, stop eating, okay? Uh, stop moving, right? So, so get some rest and sleep. Mm. And they also behave even on normal days. I noticed with my three as well, like they're very, they're not on it all the time. So like we are as adults and I'll have a lot of, you know, obviously this being the high performance health podcast, a lot of, most of the listeners are high performers and the clients that I work with are, and they feel like 
that stress got them to where they are today. Whereas in reality, if you look at children, they, they go at something and then they rest. Not dissimilar to how an animal, you know, like my dog would chase something and then he'd come and learn his bed and give the body and the mind time to rest and recover. Um, I, I love that analogy with the children. Oh, thank you. Yeah, they're, they're amazing. They teach us so much. And, you know, we can learn so much from nature as well. I think nature is my, one of my greatest mentors, because whenever I spend time in nature, I'm usually inspired. And, and here's the thing, like, if you're a high performer, you probably already know this, but sleep is one of your best friends. If you're not sleeping, you're not a high performer. You know, one of my coaches, uh, the late Charles Poliquin, the first question he would ask his athletes isn't how much they would bench or how much they would squat. It, it was how much are they sleeping? Because he understood the power of restorative sleep. It was the number one thing that he prioritized with his athletes. And that's why he was the most winning coach in history um, because of that. And so, you know, sleep is not for, you know, people say, you know, there's all these old adages, I'll sleep when I'm dead or, you know, all of these things, but sleep is your power, most powerful tool that you have at your disposal. And it gets you thinking more clearly. It balances your blood sugar, balances your cortisol. It balances the healing and repair and regeneration in your body. You know, one of the things that happens while we sleep is we have a system called our glymphatics, our brain detoxifies, our brain gets an oil change. Uh, for example, when we sleep at night, and if you, so if you want better clarity, sharper thinking, all of those things, then sleep is your best friend. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, and it protects your brain, as you say, it protects against things like Alzheimer's later in life as well, because you're literally almost like washing the brain. Um, so we have sleep, getting outside, kind of respecting that and set more ancestral lifestyle. Um, that you were talking about. And what about from a nutritional point of view? You know, you mentioned a little bit there about how um, giving up dairy, giving up gluten solved a lot of your own problems. Um, you know, I, I work a lot with um, genetics in terms of personalizing nutrition. What would be the, the principles that you could espouse that people can take away from this today in terms of optimizing their nutrition? Yeah, so I know that longevity is a big topic for people. Um, and sustainability in their practices is a, is an important topic for people. So one of the things that I have learned over the years, and every study has demonstrated this, that calorie restriction, natural calorie restriction, not starving yourself, but calorie restriction increases longevity, you know, by almost 20%. So it's quite remarkable what happens when we start reducing our calorie intake. The other thing that I practice is intermittent fasting. So I try to minimize my calorie intake first thing in the morning, or try to have uh, nothing. If I do have anything, it's what I'm having right now, which is an elixir. And in that elixir, I have a coffee substitute called Dandy Blend. In addition to that, I have raw honey. I have uh, something called reishi mushrooms uh, in there and a five mushroom blend, which has other mushrooms in it. I also add to that um, maca powder and organic cacao powder. So the whole thing's organic. And then to sweeten it up a little bit, I'll add some almond milk uh, creamer. So that'll be my morning you know, breakfast, so to speak, and it's less than 100 calories, super nutrient dense, and very grounding. So it kind of, you know, gets me over ties me over to lunch. You know, I'm personally, you know, a plant based practitioner. So, you know, I, I don't eat any meat. And I try to avoid dairy as much as I can. I'm technically not vegan, because I will occasionally have it uh, just not to be a pest at times. But, uh, you know, in our house, we're, we're pretty much plant based. Now, what I believe is that food is uh, you know, there's different aspects to food. There's multiple dimensions to food. There's a spiritual dimension to food. There's an energetic dimension to food. There's a caloric dimension to food. Of course, there's a macro and micronutrient uh, dimension to food. So I look at food from a variety of different angles. And I believe that we should be eating what feels right to us. 
you know, our genetics can play a huge role in that. And, you know, we certainly do that for some of our patients, you know, depending on how they process saturated fats and, you know, how much fat that they need in their diet. Uh, these are things that can be helpful in, in helping them. We also look at the microbiome to see what, you know, needs to be improved in their microbiome to balance their gut health. So food is, you know, food is important, but you have to remember that food interacts with your body. It interacts with your microbiome. So, you know, you and, you and I, Angela, if we were to eat the same diet, our genetic response and our microbiome response would be different and unique. And that's where functional medicine comes in, functional nutrition comes in, because we can get very specific with clients. But, you know, as a general rule of thumb, you want to eat the highest quality ingredients that you can afford. You want to eat foods that are naturally calorie restrictive. So vegetables are naturally calorie restrictive. They have a lot of bulk and water in them, micronutrients in them, and they can be very filling. You also want to make sure you're doing proper pairing of foods. So food pairing and food combining can also be valuable information for people as well. So leans and greens, so lean proteins, animal proteins, if you are eating them, should be organic and humanely raised. Um, and then you can mix those with greens, but you shouldn't be mixing proteins and starches because they kind of digest at different rates. It's also good not to mix, um, you know, it's also good not to mix fruit with your meals. Fruits should be eaten on their own because fruits get metabolized and digested very, very quickly in the stomach. Most people will have fruit with their, as part of their dessert, but it's actually better to have fruit on its own versus with your food. So food combining can be a, uh, a great strategy. And then, you know, we, we naturally practice strategies that, um, you know, where people, our clients for the most part are eating two meals a day versus snacking throughout the day, because we want to give that digestive system, detoxification system, a chance to heal and repair in between meals versus constantly putting food into our mouth, because that's a very metabolically expensive process. You know, when I send blood to my digestive system, I'm taking it from somewhere else. If I want to digest my meal, I've got to send blood to my digestive system. But if I'm running around all day trying to take care of tasks and I'm eating food, well, now, now my body's a little bit conflicted. It's like, okay, where do you want me to send blood right now? Because I've got to digest this meal. But if you want to think more clearly, then we got to send blood to the prefrontal cortex. So we also have to keep that in mind as well as the timing of our meals and what we're going to do after those meals can be very critical for people. Yeah, for sure. I have a question there actually on um, your view on fasting because I know, you know, some people and it's not the, the studies don't seem to have been done quite so much um, on women um, as they have been on men. But I just wondered what your viewpoint there is. You know, some people will say that actually for women going for longer fast can begin to disrupt hormonal balance. What have you found? Do you think that there are diff slightly different rules for men and women in terms of that fasting window? Yeah, certainly men and women are designed and built differently. Uh, our hormones are different and, you know, we age differently as well. And of course, women have children. So that plays a role and women have menstrual cycles. So there's cyclical needs uh, that, that change over the month. We generally find that intermittent fasting for women long-term is maybe not the best uh, solution for them. And then they can fast, you know, four days a week, they can do intermittent fasting and then three days a week, they can introduce breakfast. And it also depends on what's going on in their life, what's going on with their cycle, if they have children, if they're breastfeeding. So there's a variety of things that need to be individualized for women. Men, fortunately or unfortunately, we don't experience those things. 
So we're obviously built a little bit differently and our hormonal cycles are a little bit different. So it does need to be individualized for each person. And it also depends on what their goals and objectives are. Yeah, for sure. And um, I just want to dive in now to mushrooms, because that's something I've been experimenting a little bit more uh, with recently. It's not, it's not an area that I have a great deal of knowledge in, but I know that there are amazing benefits in terms of like memory and focus, but also in terms of immunity, which everybody is um, very focused on at the moment with the coronavirus at the time of recording this. Um, so in terms of mushrooms, which you medicinal mushrooms, which you know a lot about, you mentioned there that you're having reishi, I believe, in the morning. Um, I know that chaga is also pretty good for immunity. Can you just talk us through the main sort of medicinal mushrooms that you use and how would you use them to optimize health? Sure, absolutely. So mushrooms are very, very fascinating to me. So about two and a half years ago, I became really enthralled by mushrooms and I started following the work of Paul Stamets. I started, you know, really diving deep and going down the rabbit hole. And I realized that mushrooms have the potential to solve all of our current crises in the world. They can solve the pollution crisis. They can dissolve plastics and turn them into, into mushrooms. They can take, you know, dying matter and turn it into mushrooms and mycelium. I mean, it's pretty fascinating. So I'll give everyone kind of a 30,000 foot view on this topic. So there's three parts to a mushroom. The first part is the mycelium. The mycelium is like this underground network that allows the forest to communicate with itself. So literally imagine under your feet, there is this network of little tiny little strands that, that allow the trees to communicate with one another, that allow the plants to communicate with one another, that allow the forest to communicate with itself. The mycelium has an important role. It's the immune system, digestive system, lungs, and nervous system of the forest. And so what's different about mushrooms compared to mammals, because we used to be part of the same kingdom, and about you know billions of years ago, there was a separation. So 50% of our DNA actually comes from mushrooms. Mushrooms breathe in oxygen, just like we do. Plants breathe in carbon dioxide, mushrooms breathe in oxygen. So they're a completely different species. They're somewhere in between a plant and a human being or a mammal. So pretty fascinating. They've externalized their organs. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I did not know that. So they've externalized their organs. We've internalized our organs, right? Our digestive system, nervous system, lungs, and mm. immune system are inside of us. Theirs is outside of them. So it's flipped inside out. So this mycelium acts that way. You know, the mycelium has to be resilient to viruses and bacteria and mold and fungi in order for it to thrive. So you can imagine being buried in dirt, the resilience that the mycelium has to have as an oxygen breathing species in order for it to be uh, viable and survive. Now, under the right conditions of temperature, sunlight, you know, weather change, like today over here at 16 degrees, it was like zero yesterday and it's 16 degrees today. This is the perfect temperature for mushrooms to, for the mycelium to rise and for mushrooms to grow. So when we see mushrooms, that's the fruiting body. Okay, now there's two different types of fruiting bodies. There's gilled mushrooms. These are mushrooms like portobello mushrooms, oyster mushrooms. They have these tiny little gills underneath them. They're here to, one day, they're gone the next. Okay, so they're very short-lived. And then we also have polypore mushrooms. Polypore mushrooms are mushrooms like reishi, uh, turkey tail, chaga, lion's mane. These mushrooms don't have gills. What they have are tiny little pores underneath them. And in those pore, pores grow spores and the gills grow spores. So that's the third part of the mushroom is the spores themselves. The spores when eaten are normally designed to go right through you. And when a human being or an animal has a bowel movement, then the mycelium starts growing in the stool out of the spores and then it spreads uh, that network again. 
So pretty fascinating. Those are the three parts wow, to a mushroom. Yeah. So when we think of mm -hmm. mushrooms, typically people think of the mushrooms they see on their pizza or in the grocery store. Uh, but there are so many different varieties. There's over 500,000 different varieties of mushrooms and more that are yet to be discovered. Now, the five that I use every single day, uh, one is reishi, the other one is chaga, the other one is turkey tail, cordyceps, and lion's mane. Cordyceps is excellent for lung health and oxygenation of our tissue. Certainly, we need that right now, especially with this yeah. COVID stuff going around. Uh, the other thing, um, lion's mane is excellent for the brain. Lion's mane has the highest concentration of brain supporting neurotropic factors ever discovered in, in, in the natural kingdom. And if you ever seen lion's mane, it looks like a brain. If you cut it open, cut it in half, structurally, it looks exactly like a brain. Reishi is what we call the king of mushrooms, the mushroom of longevity, the mushroom of spiritual potency. Uh, there's lots of different names. It has a revered history of use in China. In fact, if you were caught harvesting reishi mushroom 2,000 years ago, you would have your hands cut off. If you were caught again, you would have your head cut off because it was reserved for royalty. So it has millions and millions of years of case study use. You know, you have a population of 1.4 billion people been using this product for, you know, thousands of years. You have billions of years of use. You know, something that works well stands the test of time. And so mm -hmm. Reishi has over a thousand, almost 3,000 studies, I believe, in PubMed. It's been used uh, for many different things. It's been used to support the immune system. It's been used to support cancer and chemotherapy. Uh, as patients go through it, it's a chemoprotective. It's been used to help uh, the beta-glucans in reishi mushroom help with promoting a healthy gut microbiome. It seals up a leaky gut and a leaky brain. And there's so many benefits to reishi. If you look at reishi, if you look at the fruiting body of a reishi, it looks almost identical to your kidneys. If you turn it on its side, it looks almost identical to your liver. So reishi is potent as a detoxifying agent in the body. Uh, the other mushroom is turkey tail. Turkey tail is very, very valuable for uh, immune support. It also has beta-glucans in it, so it's great for gut support. And the last one is chaga. Chaga has, actually has a beautiful story to it. So birch trees, when they're struck by lightning or when their limbs are damaged, uh, what happens is the mycelium, which is woven into the tree, sends a message to the surrounding trees, and it pulls up nutrients to create this chaga mushroom. So the chaga mushroom is actually acting as a scab as part of the immune system for the tree to prevent the whole tree from rotting and dying out. So it's this beautiful story of how the forest comes together to keep this tree alive and how the mycelium, you know, brings up the nutrients in order to create that chaga mushroom. So if you're ever harvesting chaga, you also always want to be careful that you're ethically harvesting it because if you take it off and you'll see if you ever harvest a mushroom that it becomes part of the tree. It's not separate from the tree. It's literally part of the tree. You want to ethically harvest it so you don't kill the tree uh, in doing so. So those are the five mushrooms I use every day. Another one that has gained a lot of popularity lately is agaricon. And agaricon, um, Paul Stamets talks about this quite a bit, uh, can be used to support the immune system as well. How interesting. I didn't, I didn't, you've taught me an awful lot there, and I'm sure you have um, the listeners as well. So in terms of your protocol for taking them, do you tend to, like, like when I've taken lion's mane, generally I'll have it as a kind of almost like a tea, um, I sometimes might add some honey to it and um, I do find, and, and I was trying to work out, is this just, um, you know, um, in my mind, but certainly I feel like I have better concentration and when I'm trying to get into flow and I'm doing more volume work and trying to digest a large volume of material, um, I actually find it really, really helpful. How do you take your mushrooms? Are you taking them as a blend in a supplement? I believe you have your own supplements in terms of mushroom content that you, you, um, you have as well. How do you recommend taking them or do you use different ones at different times? 
Uh, great question. So the thing with any product, any natural product is consistency. So taking something for a few days or one bottle, uh, that's probably going to be great for the time being, but it's over time, the results that we see that produces a long-term outcome for people. So uh, what we've done, uh, one of the companies that I'm a partner with is called Organo. And what they've done is they've put reishi spores or, or reishi fruiting body into coffee and tea products and also into protein shakes. So things that people use on a daily basis, they can now, you know, uh, without ever having to forget to take their reishi, they can take it every single day. Uh, I also use a five mushroom blend from a company called Harmonic Arts, and they have a wildcrafted mushroom blend that includes the five mushrooms that I just mentioned in a powder form. So it's a dual extract, which means they use water to extract nutrients from it, and then also alcohol to extract nutrients from it. And I add that to my elixir, as I mentioned, which I drink every single day. I never forget to drink that. Uh, when I'm traveling, I'll take that mix with me and I'll add it to my coffee, uh, to my reishi coffee, so to speak. And if I'm in a pinch, then I'll always have that powder with me and I can add it to soups or I can add it to some of my meals. It doesn't really have a strong taste. So it has kind of has an earthy taste to it. Um, so it works really well in, in coffee. So that's how I'll use it and consume it on a daily basis. I find that uh, much easier. I don't like, I'm not a big pill guy. Um, mm -hmm. although I do take some supplements, I'm not, I'm not big on taking pills. I'd rather, um, incorporate things into my food because then it's just easier for me to remember to take it. And, uh, so that's how I incorporate them. Interesting. Um, and so in that coffee, in that elixir blend that you're having, you are, there is coffee in that as well. Is there? Using uh, in, this, in the one I'm having right now, in the one I'm having right now, there's no coffee. Um, okay. I use a coffee substitute called Dandy Blend. But if I were to add coffee to it, it would be the reishi infused coffee. It's called King Coffee, which is an organic coffee combined with reishi spores. Now, here's something that I should warn people of, um, because reishi spores are very, very uh, highly coveted. In fact, most mushrooms, most commercially grown mushrooms, are grown in garbage bags. They're grown in these clear plastic bags on wood chips. Those wood chips produce beautiful mycelium and they produce these kind of like, you know, very frail looking mushrooms. Reishi is bright red. It's this gorgeous bright red color. Whereas when you grow reishi in a, in a plastic bag, it doesn't really have the same look to it. You know, uh, it looks different when you grind it up into a powder, you can't really tell, but reishi that's grown in garbage bags doesn't produce spores. Okay. because it's not healthy enough to do so. Also, the mycelium that's grown in wood chips is different than the mycelium that's grown in an actual log because it has to be resilient and resistant to the environment, to the microbes. So if you grow it in a sterile environment, it's not going to have the same resilience that naturally wildcrafted reishi would have. So that's important to note uh, is how the products are grown and how they're um, you know, brought to the market because anyone can grow reishi. You can grow reishi in your garage if you wanted to or in your basement, but it's not going to be the same quality as what mother nature grows. Okay. So the, the plant itself or the mushroom itself hasn't had to create that resilience. So it can't actually pass those properties onto you. You got it. Okay. Interesting. I mean, one thing for people that are listening to this audio, I have to say that like remark, that your skin is beautifully clear. Like your complexion is, um, it's rare that I see someone that looks quite as glowing as you do. So you're obviously, your, your digestion and everything and, and everything you're doing must be really on point. Oh, um, thank you. You know, I, I do my best. Um, that's all we can ask anyone to do is do their best. And I feel that I have an obligation to take 
as good care of myself as possible. Um, I'm certainly not perfect and I don't, I don't uh, preach perfection, but I do preach progress. And, you know, I have to be, you know, with, with a clinic called the Living Proof Institute, it's our obligation to be a role model for our clients. And that's the basis of why we do what we do is, is to lead by example. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. You look like that. So um, just having a look now then, before we kind of finish off with um, a bit more on longevity, while we're on mushrooms, let's continue with um, the COVID-19 pandemic that we're seeing a bit more on immunity. Because I know this is a little bit from the research I've been doing. Some of it is a little bit controversial because we don't truly know yet what's going to really enhance our immunity against the virus. You know, more is coming out every day about how it attaches or gets in through the enzyme seemingly ACE2. Um, but there are certain things that people can do. And I, I personally see this for many of us actually as an opportunity. We're being asked to work from home. All the things that we've described that we don't have time to do normally, spending time with our families, influencing our children with positive behavioral habits, and actually taking the time to have more sleep, focus on our self-care, and focus on ourselves we've been given this gift in a way that we could actually get ourselves into the best health of our lives and, and defend ourselves the best. Um, what are your thoughts, first of all, in terms of the classic sort of immunity boosters that people talk about in terms of things like zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, and whether people should be supplementing with those things at this time or whether they should be focusing much more on a nutrient-dense diet? Obviously, they should be doing that too. Um, I just wondered what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, so that you know, that's a question that's come up quite a bit, and and I want to start by saying that there are no proven or researched cures for COVID, whether it's a natural remedy or even a pharmaceutical remedy. So I want to make sure that I'm very clear about that. You know, this is a time, as you said, Angela, to focus on our sadhana, which is our daily practice, and all of the excuses that we had about not having enough time or wanting more time with our family, wanting more time with our thoughts, wanting more time in nature, all of those things God has presented to us in this moment. And we can be resistant to it, or we can embrace it and lean into it. And I believe that this is a great opportunity for us to lean into our daily practices. You know, certainly, I think that we should be doing these things always. I know the immune system has become the... um, you know, has become the focus for a lot of people, but here's what I'm going to tell you that might be different than other people. You can never fix one system at a time. You, you can only fix every system together. So, you know, this compartmentalization of healthcare is the biggest mistake we've ever made in healthcare. So, you know, for example, people will take a medication to lower their cholesterol at the expense of their liver and kidneys, at the expense of their brain. And that's not a natural, that's not a solution. You know, that's artificially lowering numbers on a piece of paper to provide a resolution uh, for somebody. The only solution, a true solution, and the way nature works, the way your body works is you can never heal one thing, but you can always heal everything. So when we get into a more parasympathetic state, when we sleep more, that doesn't just affect our immune system, that affects our hormones, that affects our blood sugar, that affects our brain, it affects our digestion. When we eat a whole food diet, that's not just good for our digestion, it's good for our immune system, it's good for our gut, it's good for our brain, it's good for our joints, it's good for our skin, it's good for everything. So we have to start taking this type of perspective and this type of approach when it comes to our health is is understanding that the, the primary means under which our body heals and uses the resources that we provide it with is under a parasympathetic state. 
The more we can get parasympathetic, the better we can digest, the better we can detox, the better we can balance our blood sugar, the better we can balance and increase our cell-mediated immunity, the better we can heal our brain, the better we can heal our joints, the better we can do everything, the better we can be of service to other people. So this has been the basis of our work for the last few years is how do we get people more parasympathetic? The news and the media certainly knows how to get people sympathetic dominant. They certainly know how to trigger people and put them in an operating state of fear. When we operate out of fear, we make really good short-term decisions like purchasing toilet paper. That's a very short-term myopic you know, decision, not a smart decision, right? But a good short-term decision. When you use the part of your brain that's the reptilian part of our brain, the fear part of our brain, then you're going to make short-term decisions that seem good at the time. Seems like a good idea to buy a year's worth of toilet paper right now. But what about all the other million things that you could be doing that are probably better for you and can actually improve your likelihood of survival than buying toilet paper? In order for, for us to have good uh, long-term thinking, we need to operate out of the prefrontal cortex of our mind. The prefrontal cortex allows us to come up with creative solutions to challenges. It's what allows us to make better long-term decisions. It's what allows us to be healthy and happy and vibrant. And that's the state that we need to get into if we want to improve our immune system, because when we're parasympathetic, all of those things take place at the exact same time. There's no one thing that you can do to improve your immune system that doesn't improve all the other things in your body if you're truly improving your health at the same time. If you were going to take supplementation, certainly there are things that we know can be supportive of the immune system, but they're also supportive of other organs and tissues in your body. So vitamin A is critical for your immune health. It's also critical for your liver health, okay? And your liver has 800 functions in your body. Your intake of zinc Zinc is important for over 200 processes in your body, not just immune health, okay? So many people are zinc depleted. And you know when you're zinc depleted, not only do you have a vulnerable immune system, but you have vulnerability in other areas of your health that you may not be taking into consideration right now. Glutathione is one of our most important natural uh, you know, defense mechanisms against oxidative stress. So, you know, but oxidative stress kills all of our cells or destroys our mitochondria all the time, not just when we're, you know, facing this immunological threat. So having good glutathione levels is very important. In fact, I've done some genetic testing on myself and that's an area of vulnerability for me. So I take precursors and nutrients to support healthy glutathione levels in my body, which I do all the time. So for me, you know, what's been interesting about this whole COVID experience is this has been business as usual for me and this has been life as usual for me. Nothing in my life has changed. I'm socially isolating myself because I've traveled and I just want to be responsible to my, you know, my fellow neighbors, but I haven't changed much. You know, I still do my daily yoga practice. I still do my daily chanting. I still eat healthy. I still take the nutrients to support my health that I've always taken. I'm still making my elixir that I've always made. I'm still having positive thoughts. Uh, I'm still focusing on sleep. That's the one thing I'm competitive about with my wife is how, who can sleep better and deeper. Um, most other things we support each other, but sleep is something we compete about. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, just really, really, uh, being focused on how do I create health? Um, and if we can do that, then I think we're going to come out way further ahead than taking specific nutrients. And even if we take a nutrient like zinc, for example, if we think that that nutrient's good for our immune system, we actually limit the benefits that it has. But when we take zinc with this notion that it's good for 200 processes in my body that I may not even be aware of that have existed in my body this entire lifetime that I've been alive, 
then it actually allows that zinc to do a lot more for you. Because yeah. I believe the mind is very important in our perspective and our objective and the outcomes that we create. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's funny because um, <clears throat> I absolutely agree with you. And I think it's really building on those practices that we should be doing to enhance our health and our longevity in any event. And those are the things that are going to keep us stronger. I think it's a shame that governments aren't coming out and, you know, beyond the advice to use antibacterial hand gel and wash your hands and stockpile, as you say, um, they're not telling you to stockpile, but beyond the advice to kind of practice good hygiene, they're not really informing people. And that's why I love having people like yourself on the show and also going out to my audience and giving them tips because we're not actually being well informed in terms of how to improve our health. And, and that's really fundamental. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I had, um, I had a lot of pushback from people because one of the things that I said, it was taken, it was taken incorrectly. Uh, is that social isolation is not a healthcare strategy. It might be a pandemic strategy, but socially isolating people from one another does, not, does nothing to improve their health. If you keep people indoors all the time, in front of their TV, exposed to all this Wi-Fi radiation all the time, and keep them in a state of fear and panic, that's the worst thing that you could do for somebody's immune system. In fact, if I wanted to suppress somebody's immune system, that's exactly what I would do, is I would isolate them, and I would essentially throw away the invisible key to the invisible jail cell that they're in and make them stay at home. Now, I certainly understand, you know, it's interesting times and, and I'll, I'll just, uh, you know, what I'm going to say is not a reflection of what Angela believes, but this is a reflection of what I believe is that this is, um, these are interesting times. And it's really fascinating to see how the economy has shifted, how people have shifted how healthy people are being vilified right now, right? They're saying, oh, you're, if you're healthy, you could be a carrier. So we're vilifying healthy people and healthy people are being attacked, you know, at an unconscious, subconscious level. Mm -hmm. And I can feel that, you know, as an empath myself, I can feel that. I can feel the judgment for being healthy, which to me, like, isn't that the elephant in the room? Like the people that are dying right now in Italy, once they did the examinations on their medical uh, records, most of them had at least three predisposing conditions that even the normal flu would have wiped them out from. Mm. So yeah, the elephant in the room is why are there so many sick people? Mm. Yeah. Right? And nobody's talking about that. And what is the government doing about that? What is a healthcare system doing about that? There's nothing in that system that promotes health. So I'm not shocked that they aren't providing us any guidance. For them, it's business as usual, right? Like, mm. shouldn't people be washing their hands already? Shouldn't, if you're sick, shouldn't you be staying home? and not spreading whatever it is you have, even if it's the flu or the common cold. I mean, why are we so convinced as a society that we have to push through these things? You know, we've, we've eliminated people's ability to think for themselves. We've eliminated the ability for people to know what to do in times of crisis. You know, so parents are freaking out. Guess what? Their kids are freaking out as well. They can feel your energy. They can feel the stress and the tension that's going on right now. In our house, you know, my son is upstairs, like where I've always wanted to homeschool him. I'm starting to learn that uh, how, you know, that could be kind of an interesting challenge. But, um, you know, it's great to be able to spend time with the family. We're going to go for a walk. It's beautiful outside today. So we're doing all the things that we wanted to do that we always wanted to do. And I just look at this as an extended weekend. And that's the only thing we can do at this point, right? I could, you know, if I get into my reptilian brain, which is hard for me to do. And genetically, I, I have really good stress tolerance and resilience and all the work I've been doing up until now has made me more, resi more resilient to situations like this. The way I've set up my business has made me more resilient to times like this. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying that to give myself a pat on the back, but 
Um, I do want you guys to know that it's possible. You know, mm-hmm. it is possible to practice online. It is possible to take good care of yourself and be healthy. It is possible to operate out of love instead of fear. It is possible to take this time and leverage it in a positive way instead of in a negative way. And it's important that we preserve our mind. You know, the most powerful thing that you have, the most powerful thing in the entire universe is a human mind. That's why companies will spend billions and billions of dollars trying to get in here. So it's not just what goes in your mouth that's important. It's what goes into your eyes and your ears that's even more important because that shapes your reality. And we are creators of our realities. So if we're operating out of stress, we're going to create more stress. We're going to find things that prove our mind to be right. That's how the mind works. Fortunately or unfortunately, we are creators of our own destiny. So this is a time for us to do all the work that we know we need to do. It's a time for us to remove all the excuses that we've had up, up until now. And it's a time for us to, to leverage this opportunity to become the best version of ourselves. And I know that sometimes that's not a popular opinion, but I think that's the best way that we can look at this situation that we're in. I completely agree. And I think that actually our health outcomes for many of us who will, if we get it, be able to fight it off. Actually, they could be so much enhanced by this time. As you say, we have about three months to really tackle our, our own health and wellness. Um, I don't know if you have a little bit of time just to explore in terms of how we can really engage that parasympathetic nervous system. I know that some people, people use different methods, like you've mentioned meditation, Qigong. Um, I do think that that's definitely an area like anything that we have to practice on a daily basis. You can't just meditate once every now and again and expect to get those benefits. It's that, it's that compounding effect and they get better and better in my experience. But you sound, you've got it very dialed in clearly. Um, I have one question for you as well as part of this and you can come on to it, but I know I noticed you're wearing the aura, I believe the aura ring and that's yes. how you track your sleep. Um, what's your heart rate variability like? This is something I'm getting very competitive with myself on and, <laughs> and how can we encourage, because we know that heart rate variability. So for people who haven't really aren't familiar with it, um, you know, you can have a low resting heart rate, but you may not have high heart rate variability, which is what we want to see um, to a degree because that shows good vagal tone and that we're using our parasympathetic nervous system. How individual is that? And what can we expect in terms of those numbers? And what's the best way to engage it and improve it? Sure, absolutely. So uh, just to answer your first question, my HRV stays around 80. And, uh, and that's kind of my baseline. Some people I know are in the twenties, you know, some mm-hmm. people are, my wife, for example, she's around a hundred, so her HIV is really high. Um, you know, one of the most profound shifts that we've seen in some of our clients with, uh, the, with respect to their HRV is actually medicinal mushrooms. So this is psilocybin mushroom, which is a hallucinogenic mushroom. People uh, do ceremonies. Um, you know, it's a three to four hour ceremony. And then within a day or two after they've processed everything, their HRV shoots up because their perception of reality has changed. So our perception of reality is deterministic in whether we're going to be more parasympathetic or whether we're going to be sympathetic dominant. So it's really a lot of it has to do with our mindset, not just practicing, you know, but it's also our mindset. The, the thing that I like about meditation is meditation can mean different things to different people. So for some people, it could mean breath work. For some people, it could be yoga. For some people, it could be chanting. For some people, it could be spending time in nature. 
you know, I believe that whatever we do in terms of our meditation practice is something that we should look forward to. So you shouldn't dread doing your breathing exercises. You shouldn't dread if you're going to do some chanting or kirtan, you shouldn't dread any of that. You should actually look forward to it because then you're more likely to do it. If you have tracking tools, uh, like an aura ring, I also have a, something called a whoop band. I don't know if you've seen this, but it tracks other uh, markers and I'm kind of comparing Why the two. Why do you use both? Are, you, are you comparing the two? Yeah, I'm actually comparing the two right now. Okay. Um, and so I want to see, you know, the difference between the two and, and see the accuracy. And, you know, I, I like to have commentary on different products. You know, people always ask me about things. So I'm wearing them both at the same time right now to see which one I like better, you know, kind of comparing the apps, comparing the information that I get, the visual guidance that I get from each one and just um, measuring the accuracy as well. Um, so right now I'm wearing both. Uh, I just came back from a vacation uh, in Portugal, which has a five-hour time difference. So it's been interesting to see, you know, how sleep is being, being affected, how HRV is being affected, and how my body recovers from that. So my HRV was really high in Portugal, and then it came down a little bit. And now it's now as my body's adjusting to the time zone difference, it's coming back up. So there's fluctuations. And what I like about having this data is I can act on it. I can respond to the information. I can test things to see, you know, how does my bedtime affect my HRV? How do my meals affect my HRV? How does my meditation practice affect my HRV? And we can start collecting these data points. And I believe that HRV is the most non-invasive and accurate tool to determine our level of resilience. Uh, we also use a tool called HeartMath. HeartMath is an instant neurofeedback tool so it tells me right away what's happening. My aura ring tells me the next day what my HRV was because it measures it overnight, but I can actually measure my HRV and create more resilience, you know, and kind of, it's almost like working out, right? I can actually work out um, and get instant feedback using the heart math tool. So there's a variety of different ways that you could measure HRV, uh, but, you know, it, I believe that it's the most powerful tool and it's non-invasive. It's very affordable. You know, these things are like durable medical equipment. So unless you lose them or they break, they're going to last you a very long time. And it allows you to be very, very self-aware. Another tool that I recommend to people if they've never done this is to wear a continuous glucose monitor. A continuous glucose monitor tells us about a very important hormone in your body, which is cortisol. So most people don't know this, but the main function of cortisol in your physiology is to raise blood sugar. That's its main function. And so what's fascinating is to see how responding to emails, how watching the news, how getting on a phone call with an annoying sales rep, like how all these things can affect your, uh, your blood sugar aside from what you're eating. You know, most people associate blood sugar to what they're eating, but once they put on a blood glucose monitor, a continuous blood glucose monitor, which for two weeks collects your blood sugar marker um, every 15 minutes, the data is so valuable and people can become self-regulating because they can see instantaneously what the impact is of the decisions that they make. So mm -hmm. we can game, if we can gamify health, then we can actually uh, work on improving it because we have these metrics that are coming back to us that are giving us this data and information that we can act on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. I think gamifying is so important. And just to clarify that, when you're talking about the link with cortisol, this is because when cortisol is high, it's dumping more glucose into the blood. Well, when cortisol is high, think about it this way. When your cortisol goes up, you're probably in a fight or flight response yeah, exactly. and you need glucose in order for you to be able to run away from whatever lion is chasing you. Mm -hmm. So we need immediate sources of energy. The fastest source of energy is obviously, um, the, uh, is going to be the, uh, ATP 
right? We have the creatine uh, kinase cycle, but then we also have the glucose that comes after that. And then fat is the slowest thing to burn. So a lot of times, you know, people don't burn fat as an energy source because they're so sympathetic dominant because mm -hmm. their cortisol is always elevated. They're not burning fat for energy. They're burning glucose and ATP for energy. Yeah, sure. I just wanted to clarify that so people understood because um, I think a lot of people don't realize, as you say, that actually their blood sugar is going up, not necessarily in um, direct relation to what they just ate, but because of the stress and everything else that they're feeling. Um, and I think there are companies coming out that you can now get these continuous blood glucose monitors a bit more easily because um, before you had to get them under uh, a medical doctor. Um, yeah, here, here in Ontario, in Canada, there is a company called Abbott. And uh, the Freestyle Libre is the specific de device that we use. And it's about 140 bucks. The sensors, are, I believe, are $99. And the reader is $40. But you can actually pair it with your cell phone. There's an app. And uh, you can use your cell phone to, to you know, pull the data off of the sensor. So for, you know, for two weeks, 100 bucks is really not that bad. Because that's usually enough time for healthy people to make smarter decisions about their health. Yeah, sure. Okay, thank you for that. And um, I know you mentioned when we were chatting before, so for anyone that's in the kind of healthcare sector themselves that's listening to this, one of the things that you've since gone on um, from creating your very own successful practice is actually now to teach other people how to do that. And you're hosting an online summit, I think, because it's no longer going to be a physical summit, which means people across the world can access it. Um, can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So in light of COVID, um, we've had to take a, an event that was supposed to be taking place live in Toronto, and we've postponed it to a later date. And what we decided to do to be of service to our community and to humanity and other fellow healthcare practitioners is to provide the event online. So the same speakers are going to be speaking, but instead of doing it in person, we're going to do it from the comfort of our homes uh, through a call like this, which is uh, Zoom uh, as the platform. What we're going to do is we're going to uh, make all the content available for everybody over the next, over the three days of the event, which is April 3rd uh, to 5th. And then people can access that resource and they can start implementing some of the things that we learn and the practices that we've put in place for ourselves. But in, also some of the speakers that are there are mentors of mine who have taught me over the years exactly what to do to set myself up uh, for success. And this is the things that we teach our other fellow practitioners. So We've put that together for everyone. Uh, if you go to perfectpracticelive.com, you'll be able to access the resources absolutely free. It's our commitment to make this available to everybody. If you want the recordings and all the slides and everything, it's only $97. And if you'd like to join us live at a future time, then it's $997. But for now, I would encourage everyone to at least jump on the free um, you know, uh, calls and the free summit, the free conference, so that they can start putting into practice some of the things that we've been doing for years and set themselves up. You know, we don't know if something like, you know, we don't know how long this is going to last. And so mm. the timing is actually perfect for us to be yeah. able to double down and hunker down on our businesses and set ourselves up for success. And I know that many of the practitioners that I work with have always wanted to work you know, online. They've always wanted to go to a remote practice because it lowers your overhead, increases your time with family, allows you to leverage technology. And the beautiful thing about functional medicine is the patient is the equipment. So we don't need all this fancy equipment and infrastructure to provide our services because we already have this trillion dollar body that we can actually leverage as a tool for healing and repair. So this is a time, this is, this is a time where, you know, functional medicine and holistic medicine and uh, coaching and all those things can rise to whole new levels. And I want to be part of making that a reality for anyone who's listening, who thinks that uh, they would benefit from it. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. That's amazing. Um, I will link to that in the show notes. Um, and um, before you go, what would be, what's the most um, inspiring book or it could be a person or author, maybe even a mentor that you go back to time and time again that you can share with people if they want to take a deeper dive apart from what you've shared here into the health industry? Sure. So I'll say I've had many mentors over the years, so I'm not going to name any mentors because I don't want to leave anyone out. But the book that I go to uh, is as my fail safe in times of uncertainty and even in times of certainty is the Bhagavad Gita. There's thousands of interpretations of the Gita. My favorite one that's easy to digest and process is the version by Jack Hawley. It's called the Bhagavad Gita, a walkthrough for Westerners. So he's taken many, many versions of the Gita and, you know, distill them down to the core essence of the message. And it's it, the Gita is considered India's gift to, greatest gift to humanity. So it's an ancient scripture and it talks about, you know, basically the role of man in society and how to be an amazing, outstanding person, how to serve with love, how to serve with God at the forefront. And it's actually the book that Gandhi referred to in times of uncertainty. So he carried one book with him. It was that particular book. And any sage that you speak with, any person that you connect with, people like Ram Das, people like Wayne Dyer, people like the Dalai Lama, this is a book that they keep very close to them because of the power of the information that's in there. And it's very simple. It's written in a very simple, beautiful uh, format. Bhagavad Gita translates to the Song of God, and it's essentially a conversation between Arjun, who represents man, and Krishna, who represents uh, God. So it's a, it's a beautiful story, and that's the one, that's the one book I recommend to everybody. Amazing. I haven't read it. I will, I'm going to be getting onto that straight away. So this is the, you say it's the version by Jack Holly, just Jack to make Holly, sure yes. I'm linking to the right one. Yep. Okay. I will include also, that in the show notes. There's also a version that you can get on Audible. So okay, he, great. There's a, there's a printed version and there's an audio version as well. Okay. Amazing. Perfect for when people are going out for these walks in nature that hopefully yes. everyone's going to be doing if they aren't already. Um, where can people find you? What's your website? Um, where are you most active on social? Sure. So for me, social media, where I'm most active is actually on my personal page. It's the Sachin Patel. Uh, mm -hmm. if you, if you Google me, you'll see my picture. If you Google Sat or not Google, if you find me on Facebook, Sachin Patel, I've got two pages. I've got a personal page and then also a fan page. Uh, if you do follow me on my personal page, please don't add me as a friend because I'm already at 5,000. Please follow me because I can't respond to friend requests. But if you follow me on my fan page, then certainly you'll get lots of great information there. Another thing that I want to offer to everybody that might be helpful to them right now is a free program that we have. It's called 30 Ways in 30 Days. And the website is www.30in30.org. And this is where I share all my best tips. If you were to come in and see us as a patient, these are the 30 things that we'd want you to be doing uh, anyways. So instead of waiting for you to become a patient and then do these things, we've made them available to everybody for absolutely free. So 30 of my best tips, you'll get a short video and email every day that describes these things so you can start implementing the healthy practices that we want and encourage you to do on a daily basis. Amazing. I will link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on. That's been an incredible interview. You shared so much there. Um, a true honor to have you on the show. Thank you, Sachin. Well, thank you, Angela. I appreciate it. And I look forward to, you know, perhaps doing this sometime in the future. I know there's lots that we can talk about and I want to thank you for bringing me on the show and I hope this helps all the listeners. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to do that. I think there's definitely a lot more we could have talked about today. So thank you. Um, we'll set that up. Awesome. 
Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources, and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body, and lifestyle.